Well, good evening. And uh, if you've got your Bibles, turn to the book of Revelation in chapter 7. And we're going to have a passage read to us in just a few moments. Uh, when we turn to the book of Revelation, sometimes people get phased. Isn't it very complicated? Isn't it very difficult to grasp? Well, actually, it's God's picture book. It's a book that is written to help Christians who are struggling. They're going through great tribulation. And the word tribulation is a Greek word that literally means to be crushed. You're under immense pressure. You're, you're hated by the world. And that's what was happening in the first century. John himself is in prison. It's a kind of a first century concentration camp. The Christians are being martyred. And what does God do? He gives them this wonderful vision. The immediate context is chapter 7, which is, oh sorry, chapter 6, which is a picture of God's judgment. It's a terrifying picture. Uh, and the people of the world cry out, hide us from the face of him who sits on the, on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Who can stand in the day of God's judgment? And the answer comes in chapter 7. The first part of the chapter is all about those who are God's servants, who are sealed forever and secure. And then the second part gives us a wonderful picture, a vision of glory, which is for every one of us tonight who's a true Christian. So we're going to hear the word of God. Revelation 7, picking it up at verse 9. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, they were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshipped God saying, Amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders asked me, these in white robes, who are they? And where did they come from? I answered, sir, you know. And he said, these are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Never again will they hunger, never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. If you have your Bibles, turn to that passage. And uh, we've only got 30 minutes this evening, so we're just going to concentrate on the last three verses, verses 15, 16, and 17. And we're going to be thinking tonight of the glorious destiny that every Christian 
has. And it's good to think about that, isn't it? Uh, we have a number of grandchildren, and our youngest is a little boy called Boaz. And when Boaz was born, I decided I'd take the opportunity to tell um, the family, to tell my grandchildren the story of Ruth and Boaz. Wonderful story. And so we went through the story, and, and what a great guy Boaz was. Well, afterwards, two of my granddaughters were overheard by their mum speaking together. And one said, wouldn't it be amazing if when Boaz grows up, he meets and falls in love with a little girl called Ruth, and they get married? Wouldn't that be great? And a sister said, it'd be marvellous. Granddad would be so excited. <laughs> He'd be so excited at that wedding, wouldn't he? And then she thought for a minute, and she said, but he'll probably be dead by then. <laughs> well, it does kind of focus the mind. What does it mean to be human? That's been our theme this week, hasn't it? What is, what is it to be human? Well, to be human is to struggle with many of the dark questions of life. Of course, one of the darkest questions of all is death itself. Somehow, there's something inside us that cries out, this isn't the way it should be. God's put eternity in our hearts, and yet, and yet people die. And it's just, just the way it is. And, and some people would say, well, there's nothing after that. That's just the end. I was preaching in Glasgow recently. Anybody from Glasgow? You'll understand what I'm about to say. I was there, I was just talking about life. And afterwards, this guy said, oh, there's no life after. When you're dead, you're dead. <laughs> and that was, for many people, the answer. It's just it. But, but there's something inside that says, no, there's more than that. To be human is to struggle with that question. And to be human is to struggle with the question of grief. You see, to be human is to love. And love leads to loss. And loss breaks our hearts. If you don't want to lose anything, well, don't love. But when we love, we lose. Like the man who says to me, you know, my wife, we were together for over 50 years. Early in the morning when I wake up, and I'm still halfway between sleep and wake, I reach out in the bed for her. And she's not there. And I come into reality and realize she's not there. Or the young couple in my first church who had the tragedy of a cot death. You know, you have a funeral and there's this tiny little coffin. And, and there on a cold hillside in Wiltshire in a graveyard, this, this coffin is placed. My husband calls me out on a very cold night and I, I go to see his wife and uh, and he, he says, Pastor, you've got to help her. And she says, Pastor, you, you, you're going to want to throw me out of the church when I tell you what I'm thinking. You see, my heart is yearning for my little boy. And I just want to go up on the hillside and take a blanket and put it over the grave to keep him warm. I know it's stupid. I, I know he's with the Lord, but I'm yearning for him. You're going to want to throw me out of the church, aren't you, Pastor? I said, no, I want to hug you and I want to tell you about Jesus. But... That's to be human, isn't it? In a fallen, broken world, death and tragedy and heartbreak are realities. And to be human is to feel those things. And into that whole conundrum of, of pain and suffering, with all the questions that, that life throws up, we have this wonderful statement. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Now, in the early church, they used to do that. Didn't Christ is risen, and the congregation came back. He is risen indeed. Can we get away with that on the last night of week one? Okay, here we go. Christ is risen. He is 
Well done. Well done. And of course, in the book of Revelation, that's who is. That's the opening vision. Christ is the one who's conquered death. And at his belt, he holds the keys of death and Hades. Death has been trampled underfoot. And so he can bring a word of hope to his people. And that's what he actually does here in our verses this evening. So let's look together at verses 15 and 16 and 17. This place that Christ has gone to prepare for us, this wonderful place of hope that the resurrected Lord is preparing for us at this very moment in time. What kind of place is it? Well, three things. Number one, it's a place of service. It's a place of service. Verse 15, therefore, they are before the throne of God and they serve him day and night in his temple. Well, we may well ask the question, who are they and where are they and what are they doing? Well, who are they? Earlier in the chapter, uh, the angel has said to, to John, who are they? It's not that the angel doesn't know, it's that he wants John to know. John's already seen this great multitude. I mean, there's a lot of people here tonight, but I'm guessing you could count them. But when you get to heaven, you can't count them. There are just so many of them. This huge number, and, 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 the, and the living creature says, you know, who are they? And John says, well, I don't know, you know. I'll tell you, they are those who've come out of great tribulation, and they've washed their robes, and they've made them white in the blood of the Lamb. They have been in tribulation. The word tribulation there is the Greek word thlipsis, and it literally means to be crushed. They are a crushed people. They've been crushed by the world. Remember, Jesus in John's Gospel uses exactly the same word. In the word, in the world you will experience crushing. We heard a little earlier how difficult it is to be a young person today. Hardest place to be a Christian is in a high school. And you know, you young people, what it is to be crushed because of your faith. But they've come out of that crushing. They're now in God's presence. And they are those who are washed white in the blood of the Lamb. They're wearing white robes. See, it's talked about heaven, but we need to remember that heaven isn't for everybody. It's for those who've trusted in Christ. Heaven is a holy place because God's a holy God, and only those who are dressed in the robes of righteousness can get there. It's not good people. It's people who have come as sinners to Christ and trusted him alone. Our sins, though they are as red as crimson, will be as white as snow. And in the gospel, he clothes us in the robes of righteousness so that we can stand before the throne of a holy God. Without fear, bold, I approach the eternal throne. See, the gospel is not just that you are forgiven, it's that you are made completely right with God. Doesn't that blow your mind? Say yes. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Amazing. In Birmingham, there's a hill called the Licky Hills. It's a wonderful place. I proposed to my wife there. And when you look in one direction, you can see the beautiful hills of Worcestershire. When you look in the other direction, you can see the city of Birmingham, like the new Jerusalem coming down <laughs> out of heaven. You can't see them both at the same time. If you're looking at the city, you can't see the hills. If you do a 180 and you look at the hills, you can't see the city. When we become Christians, God does two things. He takes all our sins and he puts them behind his back. There is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then he looks at us and he doesn't look at us as if we're, okay, you're neutral now and, and, and try better. He clothes us in the white robes of righteousness. He sees the righteousness of Christ upon us. And he's satisfied. And we're able to go to heaven. If you're not a Christian tonight, you're not going to heaven. But you can, if you'll bow the knee 
to King Jesus. That's who they are. Where are they? They're before the throne. Well, where is the throne of God? I'm not sure where it is at the moment. It's in a real place. It's where Jesus went after his ascension. It's where the souls of the departed saints are. But one day, it will be here. Heaven will descend. The throne of God will descend. The new Jerusalem will descend. And here in this new creation, they will worship him and serve him forever. That's who they are. That's where they are. And what are they doing? They are serving him forever. The word service there... It's partly a word that describes worship. It's, it's a place which is active and busy. I don't know what you think of when you think of heaven. Do you think of a kind of a wonderful rest home? As a pastor, I used to, I used to go to um, visit folk in rest homes. And my wife would always say, when you go, make sure you wear a short-sleeved shirt. Because they're so hot. And you go in and it, it's, like, it's like tropical conditions. That's why everybody's asleep. <laughs> uh, and they wake up occasionally and they, they share the latest news about the development of their bunions. And then, then they go back to sleep again. And you think of heaven like that. Well, stop thinking like that. Yes, it's a place of rest. But it's a place of activity. It's a place of glorious worship. It's a place of, of adventure. It's a wonderful place. There is rest, and there's rest from the battle with sin, and there's rest from trials, and there's rest from troubles, and there's rest from heartache. You know, I, I, I've been a Christian now for 56 years. I know that looks impossible. <laughs> I was converted when I was minus 10. <laughs> but uh, shall I tell you what is my biggest trouble, my biggest heartbreak? It is my daily battle sin. When I was a teenager, I battled with sin. I thought, when you get into your 30s, you'll have conquered it. And I got into my 30s, and I thought, well, it's just as bad, if not worse. When you get into your 50s, you'll conquer it. And you know what? When I got into my 50s, it was still there. And then I thought, when you get into your 60s, when you're 60, you're over the hill, aren't you? You know, that's it. You know, life is easy. No, I'm 67, and life is still a battle every day, a battle against sin. I hate it. And it's going to be a battle all the way. But when you get to heaven, you rest from sin forever. Isn't that good news? Yes. Thank you. You're, you're, you're learning to say yes. So, so there we are. But it's, it's more than that. It is a place of service. What do we mean by that word service? Well, it, it does mean worship. It means worship at the nth degree. If you look back in the passage, that's what they're doing. Have a look at verse 10. This great multitude cried out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Their, their focus, the worship of, of God's people is, is on God himself in all his glory and on the Lord Jesus Christ. And then the angels and all the living creatures join in in verse 11. It's very interesting. If you look at verse 12, amen, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be unto our God forever and ever, amen. They sing about the glory of God, but they can't sing the song of salvation we can because we're saved you ever thought about that angels can sing about salvation we can sing from personal experience I'm a sinner I put my hand up I'm a sinner but oh by the grace of God I'm a sinner who's been saved by amazing grace and forever and ever I'm going to sing the praises of God and the nearest you ever get to a sense of heaven I think is when you do that 
I was in a conference once, not Keswick, but it was a conference like Keswick, and we'd come to the final evening like this, and we'd come to the very end of the evening, and everything was done and dusted, and, and they'd said the last uh, benediction. And then in this huge congregation, suddenly, one of the members of the congregation started up singing, There is a Redeemer. And everybody joined in. It wasn't scripted. They just joined in. You know, thousands of voices. Without music, a cappella, just singing, there is a redeemer. When I stand in glory, I will see his face. There I'll serve my king forever in that holy place. And it was one of those moments when you get that tingle down your spine. And you think, what will it be like to be in heaven, to sing his praises forever? All oh, the joy of heaven. My great hero was Charles Haddon Spurgeon, and, 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 and it was said, I mean, they, in those days, in the 19th century, the, the worship was pretty dour compared with today, but, but it was said that when people went, they were struck by the joy of the singing and, and, and the joy of his preaching. You know, just this act of worship bubbling over with joy. And a lady didn't like it. She wrote to me. She said, Mr. Spurgeon, I, I came to your tabernacle on Sunday. It, it, it was far too frivolous. I want to find a church that is more suitably miserable. <laughs> I, I, I could take her to a few churches like that, couldn't you? <laughs> well, if you, if you enjoy singing, well done, because you're preparing for heaven. We worship him day and night in his temple. But of course, it's more than that. The word service is much richer than that. It's more than just a long service of worship. Remember on the very first night, we were talking about human dignity. What, what does it mean to be human? Well, it means to fulfill the mandate that God has given us, to fill the earth and to subdue it. It's a whole life thing. And so what will we do in heaven? We won't just sing God's praises. We will live and love and learn. We'll work and we'll worship and we'll wonder. We'll behold him in his glory and we'll build. We'll bask in the glory of God. It is a place of feasting and festivity and fulfillment. We'll create, we'll cultivate, we'll celebrate. I'm sure that in heaven we will experience what Adam and Eve would have experienced hadn't they fallen. But more than that, forever and ever and ever we will grow in, in perhaps capacities of things we'd never done before. I, I, I'm not musical. It, it, when you've got a pastor who isn't musical, it's sometimes an advantage actually. Because some pastors are too musical when they come to criticize the, the, uh, the musician. I just love them. I've loved the music this week, haven't you? And it's been great. And I've just, I mean, I don't know anything about it, but I've just loved it. But maybe in... in, 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 in um, in heaven, I'll get to play a musical instrument. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Maybe, maybe in the Keswick of heaven, I'll get to, on the platform to play a harp. <laughs> Wouldn't that be amazing? Or a guitar, or, 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 I don't know. Music and art and science to boldly go where no one has ever been before and to experience, yes, and to, and to look at the universe. It's a place of service. Number two, it's a place of shelter. It's a place of shelter. Look at the end of verse 15. He will shelter them with his presence. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The, the sun will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat. Forever and ever protected by the presence of God. The, the, the Greek there is quite interesting. The one sitting on the throne will spread his tent over them. Story of Ruth and Boaz. She goes to Boaz and she says, will you, will you spread the corner of your garment over me? In other words, will you take me into that place of shelter, that place of security, that intimate place where I know that I'm accepted by you? When I was courting my wife, I used to have one of these big, long, black duffel coats. And we'd go for a walk, 
And she would say, you know, it's really cold today. Can I come under your duffel coat? And so I'd lift up my arm and she'd put her hand around me and she would come under the shelter of my duffel coat. What amazed me was on a sunny day, <laughs> she was always cold. I don't know. But that's the imagery here. He will shelter you under the shadow of his wing. You are safe forever. I, I, I think on the first evening, I, I think we were reminded that, that the great thing about Eden was, was what a wonderful, but one of the disadvantages of Eden was that there was a door out of it, but there's no door out of heaven. We're secure forever and ever. We're in his presence forever. He shelters us forever, never to be departing. And the great preachers of a previous generation was A.W. Tozer. When he was a young pastor, he was asked to go and speak to a lady who was dying. And he said, I, 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 I fumbled a few words and I prayed with her and I rose to leave. And she said, uh, young man, are you nervous? <laughs> he said, yes, I've never spoken to someone who was dying. But he said, look, you don't need to be nervous. I'm not. I know I've got to die. I've got to cross the river. And I know that the river is cold and it's dark and it's deep. And I've never been that way before. But let me let you into a secret. My father owns the land on both sides. And he owns the river in between. And he's never let me down yet. And he never will. Never let me down yet. And he never will. And here's the security. If you're a Christian, right, you are secure. First part of the chapter talks about that. You're stamped with the seal of God. You're safe forever. He will bring you through that river of death. And he'll land you safe on Canaan's side. Look at the way in which he describes this place of shelter. It's a place, if you look at the next verse, verse 16, where they never hunger, they never thirst, the sun doesn't beat down on them, there's no scorching heat. It's a picture of a pilgrim. And the pilgrimage to heaven is hard. And some of you know that tonight, don't you? Some of you tonight are struggling. You're struggling with pain, you're struggling with temptation, you're struggling with heartbreak with disappointment you've got to go home tomorrow and things at home are not good well God will be with you and God won't let you go and one day he will land you in this place where it is perfect as it says later in chapter 21 that series of glorious negatives no tears no death no mourning no crying no pain in heaven, there's no hospitals, no funerals, no cemeteries, no broken homes, no broken hearts, no spectacles or wheelchairs or heart disease or, or diabetes or cancer or AIDS or Alzheimer's or grief or sin or dementia or schizophrenia or disaster or disease or death. In new resurrection bodies, we worship him forever. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't it be when I started in ministry? I, I, I do love a strong handshake, don't you? Can't stand a wet fish. And I'd stand at the door and these dear old ladies would come out and I'd take them by the hand and they'd jump in the air. Rheumatism! Pastor, rheumatism! And then they'd look at me in the eye and they'd say, you wait, <laughs> you wait. No rheumatism in heaven. It's home. Isn't there a wonderful frisson of that word home? Little boy was asked, what is home? Home is a place when you get there, they've got to let you in. My wife and I have just returned, uh, returned, retired to Birmingham. Can you imagine that? <laughs> I was going for a walk early in the morning, and I see these guys at 6 o'clock in the morning. He's taking his dog for a walk, and it's a beautiful day. And he, he said to me, 
going to be a lovely day today, isn't it? Completely bossed in. And I thought, oh, isn't it be wonderful where they speak proper like what I do? <laughs> where they speak the king's English. The language of Shakespeare. You know Shakespeare was almost a brummie. Eh? You know, it, to buy or not to buy, that's the question. <laughs> Home. Home forever. Place of shelter. But then, thirdly and finally, this is a place of satisfaction. It's a place of satisfaction. Look at verse 17. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. That's one of those oxymorons, isn't it? The lamb is a shepherd. But, but John has seen the lamb earlier, hasn't he? he? He's been told the only one who can reign and bring about God's purposes on earth is the lion of Judah. And he looks for the lion and what does he see? A lamb who is slain. He's still the good shepherd. He still guards his people. He still knows them. He still loves them. He still protects them. And what does he do? He leads them, verse 17, to springs of living water. Heaven isn't just the absence of pain. It's the abundance of joy. It's the abundance of life. Later on in chapter 21, he speaks of the river of the water of life, abundant and constant and healing and refreshing. And then right at the end, the most intimate picture of all. And God himself will wipe away every tear from their eyes. God will wipe away the tears. In the Greek, it's very interesting. It's not just that he will wipe away the tears. It's almost he will wipe out the tears as if he removes tears forever. Because the ultimate hope of heaven is is that vision of God. They will see his face. They will be in his presence forever. They will gaze on the glory of Lamb. That's what, it, that's what is the heart of what it means to be human. Our human dignity is that we will be in a relationship with God forever. That's what we were made for. Adam walked with God in the cool of the day. And the tragedy of, of the fall was that he was exiled from God. But straight away, God begins to make a plan. I will bring you back into a relationship with myself. He says to Abraham, for example, I will be your shield and I will be your very great reward. I will give myself to you. In the words of the covenant in the Old Testament, I will be your God, you will be my people. What's the heart of heaven? It's God himself. And it's Christ himself. He says to the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in glory. What do we long for in heaven to see Jesus? You know, when the people have sinned against God and, and the Lord says, I'll give you the promised land, but I won't go with you. And they grieve because they say, well, we don't want the land without God. It's nothing without the Lord. We want the Lord. We want to see him. We want to be in his presence. And that's the hope of heaven. To gaze on Jesus forever and ever and ever. One of the great preachers of another century was William Sangster up in London, Methodist up in London. And one day he was visited by um, an old uncle. He was a, a country boy, never visited London before. And Sangster said, now what would you like to do? And, and the old boy said, I, I'd like to go and, and see a performance of Messiah. Handel's Messiah. And so they, they arranged it and he was there watching the Messiah sitting near the front. And they got to the point where they sing about Jesus and, and he will reign forever. King of kings and Lord of lords and he will reign forever. And Sangster looks across at the old boy and the tears are rolling down his cheeks. And in a loud whisper, he says, 
That's my saviour they're singing about. That's my saviour. King of kings. Lord of lords. And he will reign forever. Maybe tough following Jesus. But if you follow Jesus, you get Jesus. <laughs> and it's worth it. Of course it's worth it. Our experience of Christ, our experience of God, this, this life, it's just, it's, just, it's just slight. Imagine a little boy and he's never been to the sea before and you take him to the sea and, and you say, what's it like? And he puts his hand and he says, it's wet. And then he puts his hand to his lips and he says, it's salty. And then he looks up and he says, it's big. Well, he knows a bit about the sea. Everything he says is correct. It, it is wet and it is salty and it is big. But, but that's just a tiny, a tiny taste of what it is. And our knowledge of Christ and our knowledge of God now is just that little bit of it. But we've got eternity to enjoy him. Total satisfaction of what it means to be human. To be with God's people forever and ever. And that's what it means. That's what it means to be truly human. Our conference this week has been about what it means to be human. As we close, and I've only got a couple of minutes, let me introduce you to a very small and very dear little human being. There he is. <laughs> He's my little Welsh grandson. He's called Abraham, or Abe. When Abe was born, it was discovered that he had a very, very profound neurological problem. He's got a Latin name, but what it means basically is a smooth brain. The brain never developed in the womb, which means that at birth and now, five years on, he has no higher functions. He can't do what a newborn baby can do. He'll never speak, he'll never walk, he'll never talk. Um, he has oh, such severe epileptic fits that he actually breaks his own bones. During, it, it's, it's heartbreaking. And there would be people who would say, well, of course, what's the point of that? Wouldn't it have been better if his parents had discovered and, and, and he didn't live. Or, or even now that they just didn't care and let him go. My response to that is, how dare they say that? This little boy has unique human dignity. He is made in the image of God. I look at the way in which my daughter cares for Abe and I see what the love of God is like. She speaks to him as if he is the most precious thing in her life. His sisters call him the golden prince. <laughs> he has dignity because he's human. With all his problems, he has dignity. And our theme tonight, he has destiny. I believe there's enough teaching in the Bible to tell us that one day we will see him in a new resurrection body, in the place that we've just been thinking about. This stunningly handsome young man will come across to us and he'll introduce himself and we'll know that he's Abraham because he's got a Welsh accent. <laughs> Friends, every one of us has dignity and every one of us has destiny. But the question tonight is, what is your destiny? If you're a Christian, the destiny is what we've just been describing and it's fantastic and it's wonderful and it's brilliant. But if you're not a Christian tonight, if your robes have not been washed in the blood of the Lamb. That's not your destiny. Every human being is eternal. Every person in this room tonight is eternal. If you take a piece of paper and you put a dot on the piece of paper and then you draw a line and the line goes on and on and on to eternity, that dot represents your life. Whether it's 50 years or 100 years, whatever it is, 
It's a dot compared with eternity. And you will spend eternity in this place or in a place that the Bible calls hell. I don't want to be heavy about this tonight, but I'm just being faithful to the book of Revelation, which makes it as clear as as probably any other book. Earlier, the, the, the question has been asked, who will hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb? See, Jesus Christ is both the saviour of sinners and the judge. You either come to him as saviour or you appear before him as judge. And I want to plead with you tonight on this very last night of Keswick, just be sure that you've come to him as saviour. I became a Christian when I was 11 years old. I didn't come from a Christian family. I came under conviction of sin. I came to realize I was a sinner. And, and, you know, at 11, you don't know much. I knew I was a sinner. I knew I needed a savior. And on a night like tonight, I fled to the cross for salvation. 56 years ago, it's as vivid tonight as it was then, and my name was written in heaven. The moment you believe your name is written in heaven, and you get to experience all this wonderful joy, or you get to be separated from all those things forever, the exact opposite, the, the negative of everything we see. That's what the Bible says. And Jesus died to make it possible for people like you and me to get to heaven. I've got a book which I'll show you in a moment, and I'll give you one of those free. If you're a Christian, and I don't come and get the book if, if you're a Christian already, but if you're not a Christian, you want to find out more, please come and take the book from me. I think that you can get one for free from, from, from uh, 10 of those as well. But as I close, let me ask you a question. Bear in mind you are an eternal being. Where will you be in an hour? Or in a coffee, maybe. Where will you be in a day? One day, probably on your way home. Where will you be in, in a week? Who knows? Where will you be in a year? Probably back here in the tent. Where will you be in 20 years? Some of you won't be here on planet Earth anymore. Where will you be in 100 years? Well, maybe the babies we can hear at the back might survive 100, but none of us else will. Where will you be in 100 million years? What a stupid question. No, because you will be somewhere. You are eternal. You will be in heaven or in hell. And the only way to be sure is to come to Christ. Please, 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 if you never have, come to the shelter of Christ tonight. Here's the book that I'd love to give you. It's got a very appropriate title. It's called Heaven, How I Got There. Don't take one if you're already a Christian, but if you want to find out more, please come to me afterwards. I'll be standing somewhere over there and take one of those. Or get it from 10 of those. Just just use my name. (laughs) But let's pray. Father, we do pray now that in your grace and in your mercy, you would help us to be sure. If we're Christians, we thank you for the hope that we have. We thank you for our dignity. We thank you for our destiny. But Lord, if we're not sure, oh, tonight, may we flee to the cross for salvation. May we realize that it's in Christ alone and only in him that we can find grace. Amen.